Welcome to Booz Allen Hamilton's Unstoppable Together podcast, a series of stories that unite us and empower each of us to change the world. I'm Jenny Brooks with Booz Allen Hamilton, and I'm passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please join me in conversation with a diverse group of thought leaders to explore what makes them and all of us unstoppable. We had such a deep conversation with Dr. Jenny Wang that we're going to publish this episode in two parts. Both were recorded at the same time, so be sure to listen to part two once you've finished part one. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstoppable Together podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brooks, and I'm thrilled today to talk with Dr. Jenny Wang. Dr. Jenny is a Taiwanese-American clinical psychologist, speaker, and mental health activist who is passionate about destigmatizing mental health for Asian Americans. She's also the author of the new book, Permission to Come Home, which will be released on May 3rd and tackles the stigma that Asian Americans face in caring for their mental health. Dr. Jenny, welcome to the Unstoppable Together podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for offering space to share about the work and um, really trying to destigmatize mental health in many different communities. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. Your book is essentially a first of its kind. What inspired you to write it and what do you hope readers will take away from it? When I think about the original grounding purpose of this book, honestly, it was for my two young kids. I have a nine-year-old and I have a five-year-old and one day they will be young Asian American adults who are having to tackle a lot of the issues that I currently face. And so one of the things I really hope that they would take away from this book one day is that they understand that their emotions are not a threat to them, that in fact, leaning into their emotions and trying to understand the information that's located there is actually part of the transformative knowledge and work. And so much of Asian culture, I think we've been taught that emotions are threatening and scary and difficult to manage. And so let's kind of push it to the side. Let's suppress it. And what gets lost is a wealth of information about how we show up in the world, what we feel we're capable of being engaged in, and how we interact with other people. And so my hope is that this book will help people start to question some of the frameworks that they might have had, maybe learn through their families, their culture, society at large, and start to break them down and transform those frameworks into something that they can claim ownership over. Wow. It's so powerful for children in particular as they're developing to arm them with some of those strategies. I'm also struck by the fact that you started the Asians for Mental Health Instagram community in September 2019. That was five months before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. How did you evolve this platform to ultimately address the mental health challenges that arose throughout the pandemic for the Asian American community? You know, honestly, this platform started out of a frustration. I was scrolling on Instagram one night and was thinking about how there was such a plethora of information that was generally about mental health, but there was nothing that was geared towards mental health from the lens of being Asian 
of having Asian identity, of being a child of immigrants. And so the platform initially began with just wanting to prompt people to think about how our racial or ethnic identity kind of forms the basis for mental health, right? It's how I see the world. It's how I think about myself in the greater context of the world that I live in. And so it started as a Let's see how this goes because I'm not very social media savvy, but I thought, you know, I wanted to talk about things from the lens of somebody who for most of our lives, we might've felt invisible. We might've felt as though there was no space for us in the larger conversations in society. And so it started off as a questioning and an invitation for people to start to think about how their identity mapped onto mental health. Then as the pandemic essentially kind of erupted in the United States, as we watched the murder of George Floyd, as many different social issues started to evolve, it started to become, at least for me, a community and a safe haven for folks who were looking for a sense of grounding, a sense of community and connection during some of the hardest times of some of our lives, honestly. And so as it evolved, my hope was that people were constantly being invited into thinking about their mental health as something that permeated their every single daily lives, right? Or their daily lives in every single moment. And in many ways, I wanted to dispel this myth that mental health was a condition in which you were hospitalized for, and that's called mental health, or schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, that's what's called mental health. Within the Asian community, the stigma of mental health is so strong that we don't really seek it out unless we're in crisis, when things are so bad that our lives are kind of being torn apart. And that's the danger, right, of ignoring our mental health. And that was my goal, was really to help people say, you know, that loneliness that you feel throughout pandemic, you know, the difficulties of communicating with your partner, you know, those feelings of vicarious trauma that you're experiencing while you're witnessing all these videos of people being attacked in your own community. All of that is mental health. Wow. Do you find on the Instagram community, so you're going on to three years with it now, do you find that it spans all ages? I would say that, you know, especially on social media, there is almost kind of a cutoff point where, you know, parents probably aren't ready for their 11-year-olds to be on Instagram or 13-year-olds. I would say that the primary kind of age range of people who tend to engage on my platform probably fall within the kind of college age and then upwards of their, you know, mid-30s, 40s, sometimes older than that. So they are young adults who, one, have access to technology, two, have an interest in mental health, and come from maybe predominantly Asian American communities, but then there are individuals who also are kind of living in silos in different parts of the country where there are not primarily, you know, Asian American kind of enclaves. And so I would say that in terms of age, something that has kind of come up again and again in this kind of platform and community is truly how alone many of us feel. And I would say that spans 
all ages, whether you're in college and surrounded by people, but yet you're in the midst of pandemic and college looks really different than you might have imagined, or you're in your 30s and 40s and you are working, you might be a parent. Life is very full and it's hard to invest time in self-care, in connecting with others, especially in the midst of pandemic. So I would say that one theme that runs cross-sectionally across all these generations and ages is just simply how isolated people feel. And that's one of the things that I love about this platform is that people will share their intimate experiences sometimes on the posts comments and others will say, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one. Right. I thought I was the only one that struggled with this. And I think that in itself helps people realize it's not me. It's not my fault that I feel this way. And releases from some of the shame, some of the embarrassment or stigma that might surround some of these mental health struggles. I think another theme in the last several years, particularly in the Asian American community, is what does it mean to be Asian American? in terms of our identity, in terms of who we are in the greater context of the United States. And I think with pandemic and the rise of anti-Asian violence and hate, it really begs the question, who am I? What does society expect me to be? Who do they view me to be? And what do I need to release from in order to claim my identity? And I think for many of us as Asian Americans, especially if we're kind of in that second, third generation, our parents taught us that assimilation was the ticket to acceptance and belonging. But we're quickly realizing, especially within the COVID pandemic, that assimilation is not enough to protect us, right? There are people being randomly attacked in subways. They're being attacked on the way to work. These are not situations in which our assimilation is enough to keep us safe. And so the question is, and I think we're all wondering, what do we need to do now to transform what protection looks like on an individual level and a community level? Yes. And what do we need to claim? Yeah, in order to move towards that self-protection. That's Sorry exactly about that. The, no, that's the, exactly the question that was coming to my mind as I was listening to you, which is with the rise of hate towards this community, you know, that awareness of what you just said around the culture of assimilation, not offering the protection really struck me. And I was wondering as an ally, how do I, one, increase awareness of culture of assimilation? And then how can I engage? What would you offer? I would say that for allies, one of the most important things that you have access to is your level of influence in the people who are in your life, right? So in the sense that as an ally, let's say you have certain privileges being perhaps white, perhaps being male, perhaps being cisgender, there are certain privileges and power that you hold by having those identities. And so people might be more willing to listen to you, to hear you out when you might share about the anti-Asian violence or hate, right? And so the first thing I would say is we're not asking that 
you make massive grand gestures about being an ally or how to support our community, we actually ask that you go to your homes, go to your workplaces, your family, those intimate spaces of influence to say, hey, did you know that this was happening? The most heartbreaking aspect of all of this is that we, as Asian Americans, we might be able to watch and view all of this anti-Asian hate, but a large proportion of people in the United States still have no idea that this is ongoing. And so as an ally, one, just calling attention to these situations, to the discrimination, to the violence, helps move the dial even just a little bit in terms of offering some protection, some awareness, even some bystander intervention training, right, that individuals could pursue would help immensely. I think a second piece is that as an ally, if you have a relationship with someone who is from the Asian community, then even the acknowledgement that these acts, this violence may have some sort of impact on them may be so powerful. I think for a lot of the Asian community, we've been taught that we don't discuss these painful parts of our lives. We don't bring them to kind of that conscious conversation level or attention. And so as an ally, if you are my friend, if we have a safe relationship, then you checking in with me allows me to feel that I'm not alone in this, that there are people outside of our community who can offer empathy, compassion, and even just support through some of these really difficult times. And so as an ally, I'm thinking about two pieces. One is using your voice to raise awareness and then two, using your relationships with marginalized people to offer support, to name some of these experiences and bring them to conscious level attention. I think of, you know, the, when you're at the workplace and sometimes microaggressions occur. And sometimes as a person of color, I may doubt whether or not it was a microaggression because it's sometimes so subtle. And when a colleague says to me, hey, Jenny, I noticed that person said that to you and that felt, that felt wrong, that felt biased, that felt like a microaggression, but I'm curious, how did you receive that? That gives me a safe space to say, huh, you noticed it too, right? Maybe I'm not making it up. Maybe I'm not too sensitive. Maybe that was a real experience for me. So those are some thoughts that kind of come to mind when I think about allyship. Thank you. This wraps up part one of our conversation with Dr. Jenny Wang. Be sure to tune into part two, where she tackles mental health access, allyship, and her hopeful outlook. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Visit careers.boozallen.com to learn how you can be unstoppable with Booz Allen. Be the future. Work with us. The world can't wait. 